Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 12.34 in Edmonton, 11.34 in Vancouver, which is beautiful here today, by the way. Uh, we're right on West Georgia at the course of, at the Chorus Buildings. Bob Stauffer with you on Oilers Now, brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. I'm going to tell you that uh, guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakout. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 99.90 Jasper Avenue. That's right. The 99th Roos Chris was opened up on 99.90 Jasper Ave. How's that for uh, irony for Edmonton? Tell Brendan, Maggie, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. Every Wednesday on our show, we are joined by the number one analyst for Hockey Day in Canada, Craig Simpson. Craig, how you doing? Craig, you there? I am. I'm doing great, Bob. There we go. Uh, just a little bit of a, might be a little bit of a delay here. I got a little bit of feedback. Uh, but anyhow, um, so uh, let's start with the fact that you don't have any more games to broadcast because we got a, a, a solution. The St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. They won game seven. Uh, just your thoughts now that you've had a, you know, a few days to decompress on uh, what was a remarkable season from the St. Louis Blues organization. Yeah, pretty shocking that they were able to come together the way they did, uh, not just through the last part of the sort of three months of the season, but to survive like they did during the playoffs, to come together, and uh, maybe even more impressively, to find a way to win Game 7 on the road after losing you know, a Game 6 scenario that was a perfect opportunity for them to win at home with their home crowd uh, I, I think it's just another example of the you know uncertainty of a game seven you never know what's going to transpire you never know what the big play is going to be and to their credit I, I think they played a game seven the way they've sort of played uh, that whole last part of their year uh, you know they found a way to stay in games they found a way to turn the game around and uh, be relevant and they they beat the Bruins in a lot of ways at their own game. You know, I, I thought they did a heck of a job of just taking care of the puck, uh, being aggressive, turning the game around and, and being, for the most part, the better team in Game 7. Well, they were the better team 5-on-5, five five, so staying out of the box was a key, wasn't it? It really was. You know, I, I, I think I said going into Game 7, it's a uh, it's incredible that they were even able to get to a game seven in the regards of, you know, their combined power play and penalty killing was only like 75.4. That's not even a good penalty kill. So uh, they were minus seven in special teams in the Stanley cup final. And, you know, I, I don't remember a time, Bob, where a team won the Stanley cup with those kind of stats. So it is a bit of an oddity. Uh, I do agree. I, I think that their their play five on five was able to keep them relevant in the series. And you know, I look to uh, I think I said going into Game Seven, 
if I were to pick one goaltender, you know, I think I'd have to go with Tuka Rask the way he was playing all the way through. But uh, credit to Bennington. You, you look at game five on the road, he was the best player on the ice and potentially, you know, game seven on the road in a tight uh you know, very pressure-filled atmosphere, he was the best player as well. So a real credit to him. He was able to bounce back all playoffs long from a loss, and, uh, you know, that was the real difference maker for them. From Hockey Night in Canada, Craig Simpson. Craig, we had Jay Bobeester on the show uh, on Monday, and uh, Colton Pareko was on with Reed last night, uh, and those guys ended up playing together. Um, Jay is a soft-spoken guy. His father, Dan, and uh, myself have had, and you would probably not be surprised by this, Craig, knowing uh, knowing me a little, we've had some of the most animated, heated conversations over the years that you could have. But I always have been a fan of Jay's. And uh, I got to tell you, it was for me, it was pretty cool to see a guy who at times has received criticism yep. uh, for maybe not fulfilling what some people thought he should have been. But the guy's played 16 years in the NHL, and to see him get that Stanley Cup handed to him from Alex Petrangelo, uh, you know, it just reinforces how special the game really is, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I think Joe Thornton's the only one that had more games. I mean, he had 1184 uh, regular season games before hoisting the Stanley Cup over his head, and uh, you know, I think you're right with Jay. Jay's that kind of player where. Because he does have the long reach, he's got the huge, uh, you know, frame. He can carry his body around so fluidly that, you know, you almost expect him to be able to do more offensively. And I think that's probably the only real knock for him is, especially in the last seven or eight years, offensively hasn't really been a contributor. But I think what was evident throughout the playoffs was, the value that that group had with Petrangelo, Pareko, and, and Bo Meester, when you when you literally had guys that could be a 30-minute, the, the one game, game five, uh, Jay was almost 30 minutes, Petrangelo was 28, and Pareko was just under 28. And so, you know, that's a unique scenario for any team, and I, I think it really was as we were just going back on the the uh, factor of five-on-five five hockey for them, you know, they had that trio that you could just protect uh, a game. You could get big minutes. You have three guys who can all play, you know, special teams in key situations. So uh, I think for Jay, it's, uh, you know, the family, it must have been just an incredible moment for them. But another good reminder of, of having that kind of a presence. And so, yeah, I would say Jay gets criticized that his offense isn't there, but he does play a simple game. And I think it, it again, was, you know, when you've got a guy that you can trust in any kind of matchup and play him, 25 plus minutes a game and know that he's going to keep the pace of the game up. He's going to make the quick uh, and easy play a, a, a lot of times. And it's not that he's not a tough guy. You know, he's, he's not a real overly physical player, but when you have to go through that long reach and that body, he, he they, I thought had the ability to keep the opponents to the outside. And I yes. think that's what Jay really did exceptionally well. And, you know, I thought Pareko really, established himself as a as a top tier guy and uh so when you had those three petrangelo does so many good things that that was really i think the tipping point uh not not just uh, in that series but definitely in a game seven scenario 
you know, they just played the heck out of them, and they, they did the job. They didn't give any easy offense for the Bruins, and that was a big decisive factor in, in Game 7. Boehm Easter now one of 29 players in history to have won the Stanley Cup, uh, the Olympic gold medal, and the World Championships. That's the definition of a winner. We're joined by That's Craig a pretty Simpson. good career, isn't it? Yeah. It's a pretty good career. Uh, and Pareko, 100%, he emerged. I think that's why they dominated five-on-five play, is because they had they switched those pairings up. They put Pareko and Boehm Easter together. That allowed Petrangelo to get a softer matchup, and they took off from there. And, Bob, I'll tell you that, too. When you think of matchups... If you're a left winger on the Bruins, which, uh, you know, Brad Marchand, who is their leading scorer, 100-point guy, you know, when you're pretty much 90% of the shifts you had to play, you're coming down that, that left side against a, a, just a great right-handed defenseman. And you had to fight it every single shift you were out there. And when you're yeah. having to tangle through the big body of Pareko or the big body of Petrangelo, I, I really do think that was a decisive factor in the games. Alrighty, um, so uh, St. Louis uh, gets it done, and there's been a lot that has happened since the Philadelphia Flyers, Craig. Yeah, Chuck Chuck Fletcher, he goes and gets Niskanen, uh, takes on some money there, uh, giving up Goudas, uh adds Justin Braun, San Jose basically dumping the, the salary to create space after signing out Carlson, yeah. and then seven million for Kevin Hayes. Am I missing something on Kevin Hayes? Ah. Uh. You know what? I, I really didn't think Kevin was a very good fit for Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was pretty clear that they felt the same. It didn't really work the way that they thought. You know, it's it's another prime example, Bob, of uh, the covet what you don't have. And there are only so many opportunities out there of guys who you can get for nothing. I mean, $7 million for that amount of time is not nothing. But it's not giving up a first rounder. It's not giving up a huge pick. Mind you, they did make a deal to to get him back, but that came on the heels of uh, you know uh, another opportunity to to sign a guy. And I think at times you get enamored with what you don't have in your organization and what you could maybe pick up for a, a free agency. You know, a guy that is is an opportunity to stay with you for a while. And I would agree that it's a, it's a bit of an overpayment in my mind. I don't think he's an elite player i don't think he's you know a 70 to 80 point guy and you know the i guess the shocking thing is nowadays 50 plus points gets you close to 7 million it's a it's a bit of a you know a, a, an eye-opener for what the salaries are like in the league yeah absolutely we uh craig we have news of the day involving the edmonton oilers and you know what uh it seemed and you and me have been doing this now on six thirty, chad uh, for the last nine years and yeah it seems like we, you know, we used to talk too much about Neil Yakupov, and over the last three years, we've been talking too much about Yessa Pugliarvi. Darren Drager, and we have danced around this, Craig, for months, yep. okay? But Darren Drager is saying today, Yessa Pugliarvi has made it clear to the Edmonton Oilers he wants to be traded. Starts and ends right there. Um, I don't think this is a surprise to either of us, given the fact that we discussed the scenarios now what happens for Ken Holland, do you think? Well, yeah, you know, I, I've talked about Yessa in the, in the sense of, uh, you know, taking this opportunity to just uh, have a bit of a clean slate and wipe it clear and be focused on just yourself and just taking care of, 
your body, your game, your preparation, and bet on yourself. And so, you know, for Ken Holland, this is one of those scenarios. I, I, I felt that you had, you know, not a lot of opportunity to get what you would like for the assets. And um, I guess the fact that if, if he and if Yessi and his camp are saying, you know, we want out of Edmonton, we don't want anything to do, you're putting Ken Holland in a bad spot. You know, there's not the kind of uh, attention for that type of player. And as you've mentioned a number of times, you might be able to wrestle another prospect who maybe has struggled in another organization and teams are just looking for a swap. But personally, Bob, I, I would have, for Yessi's sake, I would have bet on myself and say, uh, I'm going to come in with a great attitude. I'm going to come in with a great mindset. I got a new coach and a new general manager that shouldn't have that many perceived notion of what I am. And I think I mentioned one or two weeks ago, you know, for Ken Holland, I would want to talk to the player and get a sense of where he's at. Well, if the message is I don't want to be here and I don't want to be gone, I think it it changes things for the worse. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh for Ken because it takes uh, you know any kind of leverage he could have of making a really good deal out of his hands. There has to be some accountability obviously for the Oilers organization on this. I don't know what Pete Chiarelli's deal was with uh, Marcus Leto. Yeah. Um, but it struck me as odd the the four games down in the minors and then the return at that time. Um yep. Though Ken Hitchcock sold it that he wanted to take a look at the player, um, but Craig, you've got to be able to play with other guys. And when we're talking about Yakupov and right now Pulyarvi, have they proven that they can read and react off other players? Not yet, and I think that's a good point in terms of uh, where you fit in the mix of finding a role. You know, the, the guys who stay in the league and the guys who maybe get more chances are guys who, you know, haven't established themselves as top offensive players yet, but show that they can play in different roles. You might be able to be a first-line right winger for a week or two uh, and get your opportunity when an injury happens or the team's on a little bit of a a drought. Uh, But you have to be able to make sure that you can be a third or a fourth-line player in the interim, right? Like, that's the one easy thing that you can do to be in the mix and wait for your opportunity is to prove that you can play at that level and, and play in that role. And, you know, there's the the challenge for every quote-unquote skilled player who's trying to become an NHLer is you think, well, that's not my role. That's not the way I play. Well, just look around the league of how many great junior players or great college players who make their mark staying in the lineup for 40, 50 games early on because they can play in a third line checking or a third line or a fourth line, you know, role of limited time, but prove that they know how to play, like you said, can trade the puck with their wingers, can be reliable, can play in an area. 
And I think that's what get lo- gets lost on some. And, and I would say, you mentioned the agent in those discussions. I think at times the agents can and have had a disservice in the sense of feeding that notion of, oh, yeah, you don't belong here, or no, you don't belong in the American Hockey League. That's a real demotion. When often, and I think we've been proven in the last, what would you say, Bob, five, six years anyway, yes. that that percolation down there to become a player has been a huge benefit to so many players. But if your agent's saying and feeding your notion that you don't belong there and it's a huge demotion, how are you ever going to have success there? And, and I'm, I'm fairly sure that was part of the conversation with his group in the early parts, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to you know, pigeonhole anyone there. But that, to me, is what gets missed by a lot of players. And I can't tell you how many, just this playoff alone, how many players I could point out that took that route and proved that they could play there. And then all of a sudden somebody gets hurt or the team's not going and you get your chance on the second line or sometimes even the first line. And now you're a player. And now the offense that you hoped you always could generate and have gets an opportunity to happen. But, you know, Bob, in this game nowadays, especially, it, it rarely happens the other way where you just get given the opportunity, your offense is there, and you have great success. Yeah, well, you're the one-off in that scenario, right? So, uh, I mean, Craig, I I don't play... uh, I don't skate anymore, but when I did throughout my 20s and into my early 30s, I could tell who had played at a high level and who had in about 10 seconds. And it's who moved the puck quickly and who moved the puck hard. And, uh, you know, uh, you, could, you could just see it with guys. And I, I got to tell you that when I, you know, when I brought up Drysaddle. Drysaddle's yep. been better than people thought. He's been better than people thought. So people can say, well, you guys blew it with Yakupov and you, you've blown it here at Poliarvi. And the, the organization has to eat some of that responsibility absolutely but conversely they've had players exceed expectation as well and uh, at the end of the day it's the ability to process the game for me that matters so let, let me jump in on that one though because i feel very passionately about that one with dry because there were plenty of people saying what are you doing to the guy what do you play 39 games or whatever that first year and yeah. then you sent him back to junior and so, you know, there was huge debate at that point. Are you doing yes. the right thing? You're going to ruin the guy. So here's my point that I've, you know, tried to make on players like Pugliarvi, but I'll make it in a really emphatic way on Dreisaitl. He went back with the mindset of, I'm going to be the best player where I go. And he went back to junior, was the best player, won the MVP of the Memorial Cup of a team that he didn't even win the Memorial Cup with. So that tells you leaps and bounds. That rarely happens. And so there's another example of that could have been, okay, you're screwing this guy up. You had him up. No, you had him up, and he got to learn what he could do at the NHL level, where his failures were what he needed to be as a player to be successful. And he went back and he worked on it. He did everything step-by-step on that quote-unquote demotion to say, I'm going to show you and I'm going to be a better player and I'm going to take this league that I'm in now and I'm going to be the best guy. And I think that's another great example where it is the balance. You could be critical of the organization. What the heck were they thinking? But they obviously felt that time in Edmonton with some success but a lot of failures 
inspired him and taught him what he needed to learn and what he needed to work on to be great. And like you, I heard you say earlier, yeah, 50 goals and 100 points. Like you got to put that on the player of saying, I'm going to take this demotion and do the best with it. And I'm going to work on the parts of my game that I have to get better at. And I think Leon has done that each and every year and tried to get better. Craig, the irony is for me, his best game that he played was his last one in Calgary. He had two assists that night, uh, and I think he could have stayed. Like, I, I do think, hey, you can't argue with the decision that was made, but he could have he could have stayed, and he would have floundered a bit. Just like, you know what, Joe? people forget Joe Thornton floundered his first year in the yes. NHL, too. Oh, God. He had B- way big... worse than I did. <laughs> right. Like 11 so, points, yeah. All right, so speaking of drafts, yeah. so here we go. We got the draft. You went number two overall by your own choice. You told the Maple Leafs not to take you number one back in 1985. It is a completely different game today, isn't it, regarding the whole draft process? The whole draft process, the whole vetting of the players, you know, the discussion with teams. I I only had meetings with the top three teams in the draft, uh, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and New Jersey. And, you know, those meetings weren't nearly as orchestrated as they are now. So times have changed in terms of the team's. Uh, you know, approach to getting to know the player and definitely the coaching that goes from the management groups of the players to say, okay, here's what to expect, here's what to say and all that. But at the end of the day, I've always felt, Bob, and I think it's an important distinction for players when they do get drafted that, you know, I've seen numerous times and examples where guys get drafted and their excitement and celebration of the draft was one of, you know, okay, I've made it, you know, I got drafted. To me, I I always had the mindset, I don't care really, you know, would it have been nice to go number one overall? Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, you haven't done anything. You're leaving Vancouver after the draft with now the biggest challenge of your life. You know, you haven't made anything. You haven't accomplished anything. You haven't done anything. It's not a time to relax. It's the, okay, I'm a member of the Penguins organization. This is where I have to learn to, you know, apply my craft. So I I think players that have that mindset of, okay, I got picked fourth overall, giddy up. Now it's time to put the work in are the ones that really do adjust well and are very focused on, you know, not so much where you're drafted or how high it's okay. I've got this organization what is the coach like? What's the team like? What are they missing? Where can I fit in? Where's my best chance to be good? And I think players who have that mindset are the ones that will will surprise you maybe early on with how well they adjust. Craig, great stuff. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. We'll hook up next week uh, as we launch in a free agency. Okay, Bob. Thanks a lot. Take care. From NHL Hockey on Rogers, that is Craig Simpson. Bob Stoffer joining you. It is uh, 12.56 Edmonton time. We'll head off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Come back with Al May, a longtime Washington Capitals broadcast. We'll talk about some of the movement out east and whether or not Andre Burakovsky, whether or not he might make sense uh, here in Adam Henrique and play as well. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.